Join us each week as Andrew, Ray, and others bring us in on one of their weekly phone conversations with an amazing agent. This is Little Oak Weekly. Okay, good morning, everybody. Hope everyone is uh, doing amazing, and I hope you're having fun in this interesting and crazy real estate market that we find ourselves in. I'm very excited for today's guest on our podcast. Uh, doesn't really require an introduction. I get to spend some time with our big boss man, David Rochelle. Uh, many of you know him in one capacity, but uh, the intention here this morning is to open up the world of David Rochelle a little bit more so people get to know him in uh, maybe a broader sense than they do just as the guy who is our is our big big CEO chair at at uh, at Little Oak. Uh, I've known David since 2009, which is when he joined Little Oak. But prior to that, he had a very, I'd say, lengthy real estate career, both as a salesperson and many of you know he was a past president of the Fraser Valley Real Estate Board. He actually joined us just after that time, I believe. But we'll get we'll get into the more of that with David on the line this morning. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to give Dave a call and uh, we'll get to hang out with him for a bit. Here we go. Yeah, hello. Hey, good morning, man. Oh, good morning, Andrew. How are you? Living the dream. <laughs> I got you first thing in the morning. Your phone probably hasn't started blowing up yet, right? No. Well, just messages from you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. No I'm, uh, I'm just, uh, let's chit chat for a bit about what you ate for breakfast. I'm just checking your sound. Go ahead and tell me what was on the breakfast menu. Or have you even eaten breakfast yet? You got it. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> How's that for a sound check? What's your normal, what's your normal, do you eat breakfast or do you not eat breakfast? No, I don't usually. It might be a weekend treat with the grandkids or something if we have pancakes or whatever they want. But normally I just, believe it or not, just get motoring out of the house and eat lunch and dinner. Okay. So your first meal of the day is noon. Well, so you're, you're probably unintentionally then you intermittent fast. Do you know what that is? Yeah. 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 There you go. <laughs> you're a, you're a, you're at the forefront of, uh, of the latest health craze. Well, it's certainly unintentional. <laughs> the, the fasting that is. Yeah. Have you always, have you, when did you stop eating breakfast? Like forever ago or what? Yeah. Never was, uh, never was a breakfast eating person. Hmm. Even yeah. before your, your real estate career. Yep. Yeah. Just not my gig. <laughs> huh. Late, but, but you'll, uh, you still get three meals and you just do one of them after dinner. No, I, usually, <laughs> I, I, gra I graze all day long. <laughs> <laughs> a herd animal. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> you bet. Hey, well, uh, thanks for doing this. Let's, um, I, I know I have a, uh, a ton of great things I want to discuss with you and I know. I know people are going to enjoy this. So I just wanted to kind of get the background. I don't even know some of the answers to these questions, but what is mm -hmm. described for everybody, how you, how you got into real estate prior. I know you, you know, everyone knows you joined us in 2009, but what was your real estate career dating back to when you started? Well, uh, it started out in my real estate career was sort of a real estate career as uh, myself and my uh, brother-in-law formed a house building company and we uh, we were building houses started out in White Rock. When the lots got to be about $40,000, we said, well, this is crazy. These are way too expensive. Let's move to Cloverdale. And anyway, the, as the story goes, uh, that went along for some time, but uh, I never 
had a job where I was really enjoying myself and, and also uh, after house building, I was uh, working for Alcan Aluminum and this is what really got me going. Uh, we were always getting laid off uh, in the in the winter time uh, for whatever reason. So me and my a buddy of mine thought, let's uh, let's give real estate a try because I remember when we were building houses, for the most part, the realtors were doing a lot better than we were. At least at the time. Now you sound like a home builder. <laughs> <laughs> you got that right <laughs> at the time. Yeah. So we we uh, actually I hurt my back in my uh, in my previous job. I was at Alcan Aluminum and hurt it pretty bad. And uh, they said you can't be doing any of this kind of heavy uh, work, heavy lifting, and things like that. Uh, we'll retrain you at something. And well. I mean, I said, well, how about real estate? And I got a really good start. They they paid for the course. They paid. They gave me a wage for the first six months, uh, which is was a, a huge blessing, because as all of us or some of the realtors know, it's it's pretty tough going for the first little while until you get some traction. So, so that that had to have been was that like late eighties or when was that? That was the mid eighties, eighty four, eighty five. Yeah, I got licensed in nineteen eighty five. Worked, got a, a friend of the family worked for Mitten Realty in Langley. And that was a, a great place to start your career, at least at that time. They, they spent the time and trained me properly, uh, trained, trained us on the right things to do. And it was a great start for sure. So with that office, like was that, that was probably still in a time where was everybody on a split? Yeah, a good old fifth wall. 50-50, uh, 60-40, but the office paid for everything too, all of our advertising and so on they paid for. At the end of the day, though, it was uh, pretty expensive and at the time. Mind you, were, a big commission would have been about uh, $1,500. Right. So, and so they put you on a salary. Is that what, did they did that with all of the agents that started or they just liked you so much that they that they did that for you? No, no, workers' compensation. When I hurt my back at my previous oh. job, they, put me up. they gave me a salary for the first six months. Just to get and you out of that job where you were hurting yourself? Yep. Holy yeah. smokes. You wouldn't see that happen today. No. They even gave me a, uh, an allowance to go get some nice clothes and look good and play the part and all that sort of stuff. So it was, it was really a, a, a nice start. What a different world. Yeah. No doubt. So you you start in the mid '80s and like you sell real estate actively then for quite some time. Like you go on a 20, 25 year run then when you're a, a realtor prior to kind of like board involvement or get, give us a give us a uh, what is it chronology or of what your career looks like then. The chronological order. Chronological order. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> well, from there I wasn't a realtor more than about two years and and I discovered right away that I kind of had a passion for the learning part of it and the teaching part of it. So I uh, took my managing broker's license uh, as soon as I could. And in those days, you had to be licensed for two years before you could get a managing broker's license. So I, I did that and I was an assistant manager in the office, but 100% selling for sure. Uh, hmm. that's, that's how we made our living back in the day. And, and then from there, uh, Number of years, probably I don't know, maybe ten years, fifteen years. I was in that in that office, and 
is it kept getting bought out by other people, uh, Prudential Power Play, Prudential Sussex, Sussex Realty, and so on. I just got kind of tired of the flopping around while I'm still sitting at the same desk, so to speak. So I, I got a took a posting at Home Life Benchmark in Langley as their uh, managing broker, hmm. and did that for a couple of years. And that was just when I was during the period when I was president at the board. And uh, one of my functions that I had to attend to uh, in the lovely town of Prince George, that's where I met Ray. So you're, you're president like 2007 or eight or something like that, right? Two, uh, 2006. 2006. Yep. Right. And you guys were at a function and Ray and you connected and then. Yep. Uh, Ray said, hey, let's talk. And we talked and the rest is history, as they say. But that was. You mentioned earlier I was in 2009 when I started. It was 2006. Oh, it was two. Oh, wow. Okay, I'm off by. You know what? Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. 2000. Yeah. Right, 2006. That makes sense. And that was a great time to start with you guys uh, with with Little Oak. Uh, the market was uh, starting to go into the tank in a huge way. Uh, 2007 and eight and all the yeah. financial crisis and so on. Uh, those were challenging times, but we. We made it through on, onto the other side pretty well. Yeah, you basically joined us kind of right at the end of the peak. I remember things boomed hard, three, four, five, six, seven, they started to change, and then eight eight went into, yeah. Uh, yeah. Eight, eight, nine, ten, were, that was three difficult years for sure. They were tough, yeah. for sure. Huh. I didn't realize that you wore the managing broker hat, like, really uh, then for kind of the entirety of your career. Almost, yeah. Yeah, so then would you say that you've had not many years where you were only focused on selling or did you just sell a ton during the time that you were also wearing that broker hat? I was uh, mostly assistant manager for about 15 years. At so Benchmark, you were assistant? No, at, uh, at Mitten Realty. So Got it. Those, 15, those first 15 years I'm selling, there's, there's not a whole lot to do with yeah. uh, managing. I was just there to fill in and help out mm -hmm. and so on. So, I was, I was 100% selling in those days and, and doing well. Uh, then when I went to home life, it was a little bit more because I was the managing broker. So I was more involved in the office uh, and selling probably three quarters of the time, maybe even a third of the time. And then coming to, uh, coming to Little Oak Realty, I was, you guys keep me busy. So there was not too much time. I just looked after a, a couple of uh, clients from time to time or friends and yeah. the, you know, want to buy something. So might, might do a half a dozen sales a year. That's about it. So what type of agent were you in your 15 years where you were say like really selling, how would you have, how would you describe yourself today in terms of the type of agent you were? Uh, usually in the top 10, top five in the office. Okay. Uh, tried to stay out of trouble all the time and I was a student of the of the industry so I, I was what for whatever reason who knows uh, always interested in the rules and the regulations and making sure that we're doing the right thing and uh, people around me were doing the right thing so it was predominantly doing that sort of stuff but busy at the same time that said I, I was always uh, and still am focused on the why do we work like I, I personally I work to 
make a living and, and uh, keep the wolves away, but most importantly, to have the ability to spend time with my friends and family, mm-hmm. mostly family. So mm-hmm. I, I had a pretty balanced career and I trained my clients early to not expect me to be uh, or beck and call 24-7. I had a life and, and most of my life was on the weekends. Uh, so I, I was pretty good at being able to deflect business away as much as I could from the weekends because that's when my wife and the kids are out of school and that sort of thing. So it was, it was the only opportunity I had to spend some time with them. So I was I was pretty good at that. Where did that come from? Like, how did you learn that in whatever the eighties and ninety or, you know, nineties and early two thousands, did you take courses or were you a fan of a certain teacher or? It came from a, actually a fellow that, uh, who was my mentor in the day, uh, somebody I still look up to, uh, Doug Mitten. Yeah. Uh, he's still in the business. He's out there working hard. He was, he was, uh, he was somebody I wanted to emulate and that's what he did. So darn it that's what i'm going to do too it worked for him it'll work for me that's that's kind of the philosophy on that it wasn't any big course or anything that i took it was just simply by watching him do what he did and and live the life that he lived and uh, uh had a great career has still a great career and that's uh that's something that i thought well that works for him that would certainly work for me too <laughs> so when you see if you fast forward now to, you know, your life as a, at Little Oak, let's say, mm-hmm. I mean, you watch, it's, it's you know, the, things have changed drastically even in the last five years, let alone the last 20 years. Well, how do you think through that issue for our agents as you watch them, you know, run around with cell phones and nonstop <laughs> access that you certainly never had? Uh, in your career. And I can say, I didn't even have clients didn't have access to me like that in the early part of my career. And I started in the early two thousands. That's a tip. That's a different challenge than what you faced. Would you say in terms of, you know, like protecting your, your personal time? Yeah, it's, it's a lot different now than it was back in the day, back in the day when I was out there, if you didn't want to, first of all, they had pagers. Yeah. So no phones. And and if I wanted to, somebody had me page and I could look at the message and go, hmm, I'll call them back later. Because quite frankly, the only way we can call them back was to have a pocket full of dimes mm-hmm. and pull over to a pay phone and phone them and that sort of thing. Nowadays, yeah, it's 24-7. And, but I've, I've also tried to impress upon our, our guys that regardless of anything you still need to have time on yourself and you need to take at least a day or two off a week to recharge and do your thing so figure it out uh plan your plan your weeks uh set your goals accordingly so that you can you can be allowed to have some time off you are allowed to do that that's one of the the follies of of our business i think is that we have seemed to fall into this pit of thinking we're 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 at the beck and call of everybody twenty four seven. And that that to me just doesn't put much value on our our own personal lives and, and the way we want to run our career. We we're at somebody else's beck and call and gotta stop doing that. So how has that impacted the role of a managing broker? I mean you've done this now for a long time as well. 
I think everybody mm-hmm. listening and, you know, we're all keenly aware of the challenges that the agents face, but what does that mean for somebody in your or Natalie's position in, in your, uh, you know, in your day to day? Probably the biggest aspect that we have to always have lurking in the back of our minds, at least for a, for a certain aspect of our business is what are other people going to think? Because mm-hmm. this, this, the social media and media are so prevalent in our lives now, in our industry, in our faces, that you can't do a whole lot of anything without it being broadcast one way or the other out to the masses. And it seems like everything that uh, we do now needs to be tempered with that aspect, that albatross or whatever you want to call it, hanging mm-hmm. over our head, worrying about well, if I do this, what are, what is the repercussions going to be? So that part of it has changed a lot. The other the other part is like we talked about earlier, dealing with the twenty four seven aspect of the business. And quite frankly, it's just it's pretty easy to deal with. Just slow it down or do what you want to do. I mean, if if you're a single person and you can crank it out twenty four seven, okay. But I still warn I warn the guys, you know. Uh, and girls, obviously, that if you're doing this 24-7, you're going to burn out sooner or later. It's, it, it, I've been in the business long enough to see it happen time and time again. So relax a little, smell the, smell the roses, and carry on the next day. Yeah, and this is even, this, this context of coronavirus that we've been in for the last, whatever, year and a while now, is, I think it's even intensifying that even more, because I... I I mean, I would put myself in this camp, but I would oftentimes, you know, you work long hours, but you look forward to your next break, knowing that the next time you go away on a holiday or a vacation is that time where you can decompress. And so I, I imagine, I know I've been feeling it. I, I, I would think there's a lot of people who are, who are feeling the effects of uh, really not getting that for quite some time now. And so it just, it compounds the, uh, the long working hours when you, when you can't turn yourself off maybe once every three to four months or whatever people's habits were. I know that was a habit of mine was to, you know, completely disengage once every few months with my family, but you know, God knows when we're going to be able to do that again. Well, yeah. And that's been even more of a challenge over the past year and a half or so. Uh, It's pretty hard to decompress when all around you, people are losing their minds Mm -hmm. over COVID and so on, and you can't go anywhere and you can't do anything. It's uh, it, it, it's certainly a weird time, uh, but we're quite, quite frankly, I'm proud we're getting through it the way we are because it, it, it is a challenge for, for a lot of people from a work aspect and certainly from a psychological aspect. It's a, it's a drain and uh, being able to get away or just decompress is even more important. Yeah. Your role today and how you would define it, not necessarily today, like in this moment, but let's say in recent history, would you look at what you do and say that it's vastly different different than maybe what was required of you as a managing broker in the early 2000s? Like the changes in the industry, have they also changed your job significantly? No, it, it, it's, it, it's the same stuff that we have to deal with, but it's magnified a lot more. Uh, there's a lot more weirdness, a lot more like the markets, just even the markets we've had in the past five years 
I've been doing this for 35 some odd years or more now. And the last 2016 and now this one are two of the craziest markets I've ever been in. And, mm-hmm. and those kinds of things affect our my ability to try and herd the cats, so to speak. Uh, they're they're even more scattered and all over the place trying to trying to make sense of the market and trying to operate within the marketplace but the the people business in my job the people business the teaching that stuff hasn't changed any it's just that with it it's a lot more magnified a lot you're under a microscope a lot more you seem to get judged a lot more and are are certainly our liabilities as a managing broker are seem to be piling up year after year after year with all the different new regulations and FinTrack and privacy and office stuff, you know, the all the different rules. It's it's a never never ending. And that's on one hand kind of the stuff that I like about the business. It's never a dull moment, that's for sure. Always new things every day. I don't know if I could punch a clock day in and day out that would and do the same thing day in and day out but as a matter of fact i know i couldn't that would be just far too boring for me this job just is from one day to the next it's like wow that's a whole new different way to screw things up <laughs> <laughs> that's good never saw that before <laughs> i've never seen i've never seen someone do something that stupid <laughs> no or, or brilliant yeah same, same with that i mean some of this some of the things that you see out now there's some real smart, smart realtors out there that can think on their feet pretty quick and uh, get the job done. And that, that's also fun to see. I think that I'll, I'll make a statement. You tell me if you agree. I think that what it took to be great in real estate, you know, a number of years ago. And I mean, I didn't I didn't work in the 80s and 90s, but I had a taste of it in the early 2000s. And I can say it's even changed drastically from them. But I can imagine. Uh, how it would have been different. And I would say that what it takes to make a great agent, say 20 to 30 years ago, is vastly different than what it takes to make a, to be a great agent today. Is Do you, do you think that's a fair statement? Sort of. <laughs> I, I think it's, I think it's reasonably fair, but it, I'm of the, I'm of the opinion that real estate is still, regardless of all the technology that we try to use to make our lives easier. I think it's still a belly to belly business where you have to create relationships and that hasn't changed ever, not a bit from mm-hmm. the eighties and the seventies and the sixties. That's John Corey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's he's the, probably the longest serving realtor I've ever seen. Uh, and he'll tell you, sure, there's a lots of changes, but the, the, the basics of the business I don't think it has changed a whole lot. The way we do it has changed, but it's still, we're still selling real estate. It's the exact same stuff. More forms, more paperwork, more of this, more of that. But it's, it's different, but it's not that different. Yeah. So what I, what I think is that, and this is probably not just true of real estate. It's probably true of a lot of industries, but I think that in times gone by, hard work and determination could take you quite far down the path to success. But as the industry has gotten more technical and sophisticated, I, what I see is that, you know, hard work and determination is still a very positive thing and, and you need that, but you, it is requiring a higher level of 
technicality and understanding of complex issues and, you know, whether it be tools or software or whatever. And now I'm seeing, you know, efficiency is now in my mind in the same conversation as hard work. Who's somebody who can learn to be efficient and can think intelligently through the industry maybe doesn't need to work as hard because they've figured out how to work smart. Um, yep. that's what I've, yep. that's what I've seen. It just, you can't just show up and like, just swing the hammer as hard as you can anymore. You can, but I think it requires, uh, a, just a, a higher level of sophistication today than it did, you know, a number of years ago. I would agree. There's a lot more things that you have to master nowadays than you did back in the good old days. Back, you know, all we had for advertising was newspapers yeah. or flyers. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, it's just everything. It's limitless. All of the, and you got to figure out what's best, what works, how does it work? Am I throwing money up against a wall and, and doing things that you don't have any measurable results over? All those sorts of things. Yeah, it's, it's a, it is a different uh, beast out there and a lot more things that you have to master. And if you're able to, like you said, if you're able to uh, work more efficiently and master some of those things, yeah, it makes your life a lot easier. I think. What do you, what do you hate about what you do? Like if you could erase something, what would you not do? The media. Right. (laughs) I, I, I'm, up to, fed up to my eyeballs with the media and they're they're a scary genre uh they control our lives so much by the way they report how they report look at down in the states and all the how the media has lathered up a bunch of people back in the trump days and so on the media here they now while in our busy market now they're a day late and a dollar short this time around, but now they're they're doing their best to spew that the market needs to be tempered and the government needs to step in on it. And they have they're very powerful and they're they're too powerful in my opinion. So media would be would be something that I would get rid of for sure. Probably the biggest thing. The other thing that I it's a probably a abstract thing, but nowadays it seems that realtors, when they're negotiating for their buyers and sellers, they want to make it personal. Mm. They want to make that battle personal between the other realtor. And that's not getting anything done. It always seems to be a, a pain match between the realtors rather than, hey, we're trying to make the transaction work here. How can we work together to get our respective clients to do the right thing? Mm-hmm. That's right. Instead, they they want to, you know, scream and shout, and they're just not playing very well in the sandbox together. Is an analogy that I use quite often. Get along. I have a philosophical take on that. I'll I'll give it to you, and you can tell me what you think of it. So, prior to, okay, so so you help me out with the lingo here. But back when you started, agency rules would have been defined with what? How would what what was the what was the language around agency back then? There wasn't any. Right. So you only had seller there, there agency. Was, but while, and even that was, I can't remember the terminology now, but yeah. you were, you were kind of a sub agent. It was, right. it was just a bizarre concept. Right. Uh, yeah. And basically you would take a listing, you would be, you would be the agent to the seller, but buyers really had no representation. And 
that was also in an era when truly the brokerage controlled the business and realtors operated way more like employees of the brokerage than they do today. Absolutely. Then we move into, you know, the world of, you know, we, we, we create, they created buyer agency, but we still, then we had this, you know, dual agency arrangement. And I would say that like, that was kind of when I, in the era that I started, but there was still a, I would say a, 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 a spirit of like togetherness within the office, meaning that like, if you worked under the same umbrella, you were all on the same team. And then as we go through that and more, you know, uh, legislative changes occur. Now we continue on this path of what I would say is individualizing agency, where we continue to separate agent from brokerage and agent from agent. And so I can remember like negotiating deals in 2003, four, five, where, you know, I'm talking to an agent in our office and I truly think like, okay, I'm representing the client, but in the, in the philosophical thinking of the industry, like I'm together with this agent, we're working together. And I would say that the legislation has changed the industry as such where now realtors truly are individual islands. And if you even look at the way, you know, marketing has changed and branding has changed, everybody is their own entity. And so I think it's a byproduct of that. I don't know that, you know what I'm trying to say? Like everybody is their own little unit. And it, it never used sense. to be that way. No, back in the day, uh, offices were were pretty tight. Uh, the people within the office were pretty tight. Uh, all one for all and all for one. Kind yeah. Of situation. Nowadays, it's uh, certainly different. We we lament back and think, well, why can't we? You know, it was so much fun back in the day, and it was. It was a it was a riot. Way more fun than it is nowadays. Now it's. Uh, pretty serious and, and individualistic and all the rest of that stuff. Uh, and we always try to bring that fun back into the market. And I've been trying to do that for years. It's, it's, uh, it's a tough sled trying to get some fun back into the business, but yeah, the individual it's create all of the agency uh, and the making you every realtor an Island unto themselves is made, uh, made for pitting each other against uh, each other and uh, it's not nearly as cooperative as it used to be for sure yeah hey i want to flush out something uh with you that's was uh, to the topic of media i just want to have a dialogue with you because i i myself am curious and i want to know if i'm right or wrong or what is right or wrong here but there was that article i think you've probably reviewed it i know it was um being chatted about amongst the agents in our office where you know, I think it's been in the National Post and CBC where, you know, people are coming after that. The title of the article is, is coming after this bidding process. And the language of the article is, is trying to pin what's going on in the market on, on realtors as if we are creating these scenarios where there's 17 buyers coming after one property. And then there was some specific talk around the fact that in one of these situations on offer the details of an offer was revealed to other purchasers did you read that article no i didn't but i heard about it yeah so i'm just when i read this article so two two things first of all i'm just like it pisses me off that you know the media is constantly trying to make it seem as though agents have created this environment and we certainly haven't created this environment that's a conversation well i i don't know about that you That's think agents have created this environment? 
they've certainly uh, exacerbated the environment, made it even more, you know, at, at different office meetings and, and so on. I've been talking about marketing, we're, the way we're marketing our properties. And, you know, we might not want to talk about it, but we know it's happening that, that there are, in the most recent market, and certainly in 2016, 17 as well, realtors would use the tactic of uh, a lower price to generate more action. Well, that to me is creating the marketplace that we're in right now, or it's certainly fueling that fire and making it even more so. Whereas if it was priced the way it should be, mind you, the flip side to that is who knows what the right price is when the market is going as crazy as it is. So I I think we've got a hand in it. What I'm okay. So what I'm suggesting, maybe we're saying two different things, but what I'm suggesting is this in, in 2008 and nine, when the market crashed and the inventory in the Fraser Valley real estate board went to 13,000 listings, nobody in their right mind would have said realtors created that environment. We didn't create that environment. So the flip side is, is in 2021 post pandemic, uh, after governments decide to print trillions of dollars worldwide and deflate currency, we didn't create the buying power that's out there today. And we certainly didn't dictate that only 3,800 homes be on the market in the Fraser Valley real estate board versus 13,000. So that, that's what I'm getting at. We cannot, we don't control the supply and the demand. And so, yes, there could be a range of value of a home and maybe a home's worth a million dollars and pricing the home at 850 creates something different than if you price it at 950. But if there's 40 buyers out there for a house that has nothing to do with the agent at all. Most definitely. Uh, I've come to the realization, or at least in my own mind, I'm thinking that there's nothing that affects a market, a real estate market, more than supply and demand. Over the years, supply and demand has always driven our market. If, like back in 2008-9, the supply went up to 13,000, well, there's no more demand in the market tanks. The opposite is happening now, and it, we've been that way for about five years, and that you're right we we didn't create that it's kind of weird what i don't really know what did create it other than media again maybe i don't know it's that's a conundrum but what starts it we don't know but it's certainly something that's happening around us as we speak and yeah and you'll notice you mentioned earlier about uh, when the market crashed that wasn't our fault but when the market picks up and goes crazy, that's somehow our fault. That's the way it always is in anything. When people are doing good at something, other people want to knock them down. Mm-hmm. That's just, that's the way of life. I think that's a kind of a big philosophical thing, but that's the way it is. When people do well, everyone else takes it upon themselves to try and knock them down a peg or two or bring them down to their level. Well, that, that's what happens, I think, nowadays, especially when the, if people are doing well homeowners are doing well and the people who aren't doing well are the people who don't own real estate. Those are the ones that are screaming and the media is picking up on it. And here we are. So back to the, uh, that specific case study or article, mm-hmm. I feel like in circumstances like this, the rules and regulations that our governing bodies want realtors to follow can stand in conflict to our obligations in agency that we have to our clients. 
So specifically, if your duty is to get your client the most amount of money possible, Mm-hmm. And one of the tactics to do that would be, let's say, to disclose the details of an offer to other interested parties under the direction of your seller. Then, you know, people light their hair on fire when they hear that. But I feel like that's actually an agent doing an amazing job, job at, yeah. for their client. And 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 in this conversation, I never hear anybody say that. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, does that do these things not conflict? all the time and nobody stands up and says that? Yeah, they do. With regard to that talking about the offer with other people, anything that you do, you still need to be cognizant of the rules. For instance, there's privacy legislation, there's privacy rules. There's two there's two parties to that contract that you're divulging the information about. So unless you've got the buyer and the seller's permission to talk about that offer, you're not supposed to, period. So I doubt that they have the permission of the buyers to disclose terms and conditions in the offer. So to procure a a better offer, I doubt that's happening. And that's something that, uh, you know, from a purely rules point of view, and I'm always the guy that always has to be downer, so to speak. Mm -hmm. No, you can't do that because of the rules. Well, okay. And nobody's saying anything about it because, Nobody really pays too much attention to it necessarily, but I'm surprised the media hasn't caught up on that particular tactic as well. But which tactic? You know the the, the disclosure of the terms of an offer, right? Even if you have your seller's permission, well, you don't have the buyer, don't necessarily, or I'm assuming at least, you don't have the buyer's permission to disclose that, and they're party to that contract too, and it's their private information as well. You can't be doing that. I've never, I've never heard that. So do you, you believe that to be a rule, uh, under oh, yeah. one of like, wh- who's like, le- which legislation, like wh- who has that that's rule? Council. Well, that's a privacy legislation and real estate council rule as well. Uh, and some people in my old brokerage, they found that out the hard way, hmm. even to the point where we've been chastised by a council for when a lawyer asks for well, you know, they send this demand letter, you need to send us this and that and copies of the contract. And yeah. I tell them to get stuffed and they get indignant and everything. And I remind them of the fact that yeah. this is private stuff. And just because you're a lawyer, you can't use that to try and browbeat me into giving you stuff I'm not supposed to. Hmm. And, and counsel raked some people over the coals for sharing their contract information with somebody else. And it got got out there and they they got in trouble for it yeah that's a rule interesting i i um maybe that's it's another conversation we finish another day because i mm-hmm. i i i think that that's treating the agent as though the agent owns that contract but it's the seller that actually owns that contract if the seller has 16 offers or 10 offers in front of them or whatever my my feeling is that they're the ones who are in the captain's chair with what they do with that paperwork and, uh, if they want to share information, I, my feeling is that, you know, we are just agents being told what to do by our clients. I don't understand how it can be viewed that the agent has control of all that. I think the seller does. Well, you're right. The seller does. And we're, uh, we're required to do all lawful instruction. Right. So if it's not lawful, we're not supposed to do it. 
and you need to just because the seller says the seller says go jump off a bridge so that I can get more money. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to do that. <laughs> well, I uh, that's good. We we successfully tiptoed through that conversation. I know that's that that that's not an easy one, but it's you know it's one of these things where. Nobody wants to talk about these things publicly for the statement that you made before, like, you know, everyone's scared shitless of the media, but it's like, we have to be able to flush this stuff out, you know, in a, in, you know, in an integral conversation because, um, it it needs to happen. Well, probably I should, I should clarify. It's probably what scares me even more than the media is social media. Totally. The, the court of social media is full of a bunch of jokers and jesters who know nothing about how the real estate business work and they they will crucify people. And my advice to anybody, don't get ever get into an argument with somebody on, on in social media. You'll never win. Stay away. Yeah, isn't that the truth? What do you think about the the our our structure in our industry where like the the relationship between realtor your position, managing broker, council, BCREA, like, you know, there's, this has been a hot conversation for a number of years, but maybe specifically how we function in our industry with, with agents and what their responsibilities are. And then, and then managing brokers, do you think that is the way of the future or does that need to shift significantly as we, as we move forward and continue to, to, you know, experience technological, technological change? Over the past, uh, well, over a number of years, but certainly more predominantly over the past uh, five to six years, the Real Estate Council, for instance, has uh, gone through a lot of change and deregulated and so on. And and then because of all of the different changes that we've had, and quite frankly, because of the media pressure put on the different government agencies and council, they had to they had to make a change. For instance, the council being deregulated. That was the, I was on council. I was on the real estate council for four years. Mm-hmm. It wasn't broken. There was it was going fine. It was the media it threw a perfect storm of of uh, circumstances. You know the market was going crazy. Uh, there was this shadow flipping issue and. The media blew everything way out of proportion, and it wasn't justified. But in any event, now we're at where we're at. That was in the context of Christy Clark trying to save her ass, right? Yeah, right. How's that work? Yeah. That didn't work too well. It never does. Government intervention in any free enterprise never works. In any event, there's been lots of... There was, I can't remember what commission it was called, uh, about reviewing the way real estate works and so on. And uh, there was lots of studies about what's the best model now to for realtors and brokerages and so on. Do we envision, how can a brokerage change and what is the real just the quite like the questions you just asked or all these questions that they were asking that it seems to me that so far it's still boiling down to it's going to be business as usual for the foreseeable future. There might be tweaks in this and that. Some of the brokerages have gotten too big and, and and managing brokers can't keep track of, there's too many cats to herd and they can't keep track of it all. But generally speaking, I think there's always going to be brokerages and there's always going to be realtors and there are going to be independent contractors. And it, quite frankly, it's up to the brokerage, the, the, the culture. 
structure of the brokerage to dictate how the realtors in that brokerage are going to operate. I, I think a lot of brokerages have the conception of the, the thought that we they've got no control. You know, they're independent realtors. They can do what they want and so on. But I think the culture and the hands-on approach and the diligence and hard work will mold to a certain extent, at least it'll mm-hmm. mold the culture of the, the business. And I don't think that's going to change a whole lot for any time to come. I think it's going to be business as usual for the most part as we go forward. Certainly another big change is coming up. The real estate council is going to be gone. <laughs> and now we're going to have the government looking after everything. And if, if I've learned anything, the government doesn't do it typically do it too good a job at keeping their finger on the pulse or, or running anything. So it's worrying for probably a reasonably interesting time, I think, over the next coming years until that gets figured out, how the government is going to run our business. So when does that change take effect? Like, I'm, I'm a little bit in the dark. I mean, I knew, I know this is happening, but I'm like anything government related. I feel like it's muddy and gray. Yeah. What What is actually happening and when is it happening? I think it's happening later this year, early next year, at the, at the latest. The superintendent of real estate has already taken over council's position. The council is just a kind of a, a puppet, so to speak. And then it's all, including mortgage brokers and, and realtors and so on. It's, and it's going to be taken out of the superintendent of real estate and, and it's all going to be in the government financial institutions something or other some moniker that i haven't i haven't learned yet and yeah that's going to be pretty quick and it's going to be a another curve coming our way curveball coming our way if nothing else our industry has is very resilient regardless of all of the different things that get thrown our way we seem to be able to figure it out eventually uh, and and come out the other side. Okay, nobody likes change. That's one thing I've learned. Uh, they resist change big time. But after, you know, if you embrace it and then learn about it and so on, it makes it a lot easier than trying to fight it because you're not going to be able to fight change. It's happening. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like in the backdrop of the pandemic, this this change in the industry would have maybe been at the forefront more. It would have been more of the hot conversation in the local media, but I feel like it hasn't really been talked about lately. And no, that's a significant change that that's coming. It, yeah, it's a significant change and it's not, and it's right around the corner. We're blessed to have uh, a Suk Sidhu in the office who's mm-hmm. still sitting on council and he keeps me up on what's going on. And, and it's, it's going to be a big learning curve for everyone involved, that's for sure. Who knows what the rules are going to be? I think they're going to be the same. I don't know that they're going to dive into it and just make a whole bunch of changes. But my fear is that the oversight is going to even be less than what it was with council and the superintendent of real estate. Once you get a big government bureaucracy involved in something, it usually ends up just being a bunch of paperwork and nobody watching out for what's going on. Yeah, except they'll they'll certainly up the penalties and the uh, and and the discipline though. I mean, they 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 they've come in advertising that. So, perfect combination of uh, less intimate yeah. involvement but bigger <laughs> hammers. 
Yes, yeah, yeah, and they uh, they love the fines. They need the money. <laughs> What's uh, what are you seeing today? So specifically in in what you're seeing in our contracts and whatever, maybe maybe some things we need to tweak. Is there anything, any hot topic, current current event that you'd say to everybody in the brokerage in terms of what we need to be watching for or maybe correcting? Well, first of all, I'm blessed to, and I say this and. You might think it's just a hollow statement, but I truly feel that we're uh, above the crowd at Little Oak. No, I don't think it's hollow. It's it's truth. <laughs> well, I'm not not, but what I say, you know, like I'm always saying, and people mm-hmm. just might think that it's oh, that's just you know, old man spoke no, <laughs> but it's true. Uh, <laughs> we we have a great group of people in our brokerage who foster doing it right and and so on so i don't have a lot of challenges like other brokerages have where they don't give a rip about anything and it's the wild west and uh, nobody's reviewing contracts and uh, keeping an eye out on things and it's it's more or less just uh, plugging the, the dike with your fingers here and there rather than building a better dike hmm. so to speak so I don't see a whole lot. All of our guys use our clauses diligently. The, probably the biggest issue, and it's it's probably come to an end, was writing no subject offers or mm-hmm. representing not representing a buyer or a seller and, and doing the right things to to cover your butt. Mm-hmm. Uh, the CYA techniques that we have uh, are are real important. People don't. Uh, Never under they always underestimate where the poop is going to be coming from, and they don't anticipate things coming their direction. Some you know something that goes wrong, they don't anticipate it. I'm always trying to tell people write these things as if the end is coming and and you, everything has to be done perfectly. That way you can sleep at night and not worry not worry about what it is that is in that contract that's going to rear its ugly head and make your life miserable. Take the time to read read the contract as if some third party who knows nothing about the business can read it. And if they understand it, then you're good to go. Well said. Well said. Well, my friend, I've uh, I've taken an hour of your time and you're, you're a busy man, so I feel like I should probably let you go. What's on the docket? What's on the docket today? Anything, anything exciting? <laughs> If I told you, I'd have to kill you. No. <laughs> you just you just spent five minutes talking about how perfect everything is, and everyone now and now you're not willing to disclose. <laughs> well, everything is, but it's always the other guy that we're we're uh, we're and it's the truth. We you know people do boo boos, boo boos happen, but the, the big ticket items typically we're trying to fix other people's mistakes. That that's. Basically, what I do a lot during the day is try and fix other people's mistakes, the realtors, uh, other realtors from other brokers. Involved in our transactions that, that aren't in our house. In our yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, there's still lots of fallout now from the no subject offers and the buyer's not able to complete. Mm-hmm. Probably the biggest thing now that we're going to have, and it was the same in 2016, and I preached it over and over again, is... We're going to have a challenge managing the seller's expectations and the buyer's expectations. 
in a when the market does a change. And I think we're in a bit of a softening. It's it's certainly slowing up. The number of deals are coming in, and the going forward, we're going to have to manage our own expectations and certainly be more communicative with our clients to make sure they're aware of the changes that are out there. And just the day of writing, uh, you know, accept or, or realizing that you might get ten or fifteen offers on a place. That's probably gone for a little while. There's still inconsistencies and there's stuff that's getting multiple offers, but for the most part, it's calmed down. I'm even seeing offers now with uh, subject to sale clauses accepted and they're going through okay. And, you know, it's just a normal market now or getting to be more of a normal market where we can do our jobs better, get our feet back on the ground and focus on. Uh, our year ahead and our goals and so on, rather than just leaping from one fire to the next. You know, in, in one day yesterday, I sold a house for $110,000 over asking price. Isn't that insane? And then listen to this though. In the same day, I reduced one of my listings by $100,000. There you go. And both, and both of those, like when I, when I went to market with both of those, I thought they were priced well, like properly, right? Where they would both like yep. sell within like a week or two or whatever. And mm-hmm. one of them goes higher than I thought it would. And the other one, I'm having to knock it down a hundred K. Like I'm blown away that I, that I don't have anything on it. Yeah. You need to be really nimble nowadays. And these houses are about two and a half kilometers apart. <laughs> Isn't that something? So, yeah. There's no rhyme or reason. Yeah. It's, it's not easy right now trying nope. to figure out value. It's tough throw a dart <laughs> no i'm not saying that I'm no, just <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there it is guys 40 years of experience throw a dart, <laughs> throw a dart. <laughs> amazing all right okay buddy i will uh let you go i sincerely appreciate your time and obviously everything you do i i, I love working with you and uh thanks for hanging out for a bit it's my pleasure have a great day yeah you too see ya bye bye there you go the boss man, David Rochelle. Hope you guys enjoyed that. I certainly loved uh, hanging out and chatting with him. And yeah, that's all we got for today. So we will talk and talk with and see you guys again soon. Uh, have fun out there in the market. Bye for now.